How do we know what we know? It's one of the oldest questions in philosophy. It's called epistemology. And this morning I'm wondering about that because how do I know what I know? How do I know specifically about the story for today? There's no such thing as a dragon. I didn't grow up with the story. It just showed up one day in my Facebook feed. Facebook knows all. <laughs> How do I know what I know? I don't know, but I think I do. I think it's because of her. <laughs> Some of you know her. Daenerys Stormborn, Danny Targaryen, mother, yes, in the story in Game of Thrones, mother of dragons aspirant queen to the completely dysfunctional kingdom of Westeros. Tonight is a big night for many of us. The premiere of season five of Game of Thrones. And I got to believe it was preordained that today I had to preach about dragons. I've never made a more obvious choice. This story... There is no such thing as a dragon is about this character, Billy, who wakes up one morning and sees on the foot of his bed a little dragon, happy, barking almost, if you imagine, like a dog, just sitting there. And he goes downstairs and he says to his parents, Mom, Dad, there's a dragon upstairs in my bed. Mom responds, there's no such thing as a dragon. Okay, no such thing as a dragon. Goes downstairs, gets her pancakes for breakfast. Problem is, the dragon eats all the pancakes. Mom keeps making them. Dragon keeps eating them. Billy gets one pancake. He says, that's okay. I only really wanted one pancake. Issue is, however, the dragon, which used to be as big as a small dog, is now as big as the entire table. They go throughout their day. The dragon continues to grow and grow and grow and always the same response. Mom, the dragon's growing. There's no such thing as a dragon. Pretty soon, the family, while they're cleaning up, they have to lift up this giant dragon's tail to get around it to clean the floor in the living room. The dragon keeps growing. Always the response. There's no such thing as a dragon. Eventually... This happens. The dragon takes up the entire house. Tail out into the backyard, head out into the front yard. Friends, this story for this series, Stories with Soul, about kids' literature that is about some very adult themes. In fact, this is about one of the most adult themes there is denial. Denial lies at the unhappy midpoint. Between lies and ignorance. Lies. Recognizing reality. We don't like it. So we seek to cover it up. We tell an untruth about it. Ignorance, which says we don't really know what reality is whatsoever. We're out of touch. Denial. Combine these two unhappy things and you have it. Denial is the choice not to see reality in some important way. At some layer level, there's some intention to say, I don't want to see this. I'm going to turn away. Denial can be thought of as categorical non-perception. 
Maybe you've heard yourself say words like this or you've heard other people say such words. I'm not going there. I'm not hearing that. We, whoever the we is, family, church, society, we don't talk about such things. You might hear it as, we're only as sick as our secrets. That's denial. Denial, when I think of it, and I think of a representation of it, I always think of this character. Monty Python's quest for the Holy Grail. If you don't know it, that is the fearsome black knight who guards a passageway that King Arthur, the knights of the round table, must get across. It's actually a plank across the stream. Remember, this is a comedy. And he won't allow King Arthur to get across. And so they duel together. They go into battle together. And King Arthur chops off his arm. It's Monty Python. Very gross. Very funny. Very true. In terms of its insight into human psychology, which leads to the wonderful phrase that I think some of you know. What is it? <laughs> Sally? It's only a flash wound. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for playing along. It's only a flesh wound, so he keeps on battling. And he continues to battle and joust with King Arthur. King Arthur cuts off his other arm. And it goes on, and then you'll see this scene. No arms left, he just starts kicking at him. Cuts off a leg, and cuts off the other leg. And then walks away from the Black Knight to go on his merry way, while the Black Knight is yapping all the time about how big and bad and bold and invincible he is. It's just a flesh wound. This is denial. Investing ourselves in a certain image of ourselves that limits who we are. I mean, if we could get the black knight on the couch, we would probably find out he, he has some difficulty with admitting vulnerability, right? <laughs> he has some difficulty with admitting that maybe he is not invincible. But his denial costs him a lot. Well, it literally costs him arms and legs. I mean, we all live in denial, right? If we're honest about it, we all live in some level of denial. Maybe, you know, we've all been waiting for a beautiful day like today. We've all had to sit through cruddy weather. I mean, imagine, for example, that you lived in Seattle where it rains a lot, months on end, and you're just sick of it. And even though at a certain level, you know, it's probably going to rain today, you say, I'm leaving my house today without an umbrella, and you get wet. That's denial. But it's not that costly. But let's say you live in a place in which it rains a lot, and you know there's a leak in your roof. But you say, I see those sunny days coming. I'm not going to fix that leak in my roof. This is where denial starts to cost us. It can cost us an arm and a leg. It can cost us our sanity, our safety, our serenity. And the thing with denial is it has its own kind of forward-moving energy. The more we deny, the more the thing that we deny grows, and that takes us right back to the dragon. Eventually, this dragon, which doesn't exist, remember, picks up and moves their entire house until finally, one day, Billy says, Mom, 
we're in trouble. We're in this house that's going down the street because the dragon is now dragging us along with it. And mom says there's no such thing as a dragon. And Billy says, like a classic, wonderful interventionist, but there are such things as dragons. All of a sudden, the parents recognize. Mom asks, dumbfounded, how did it get this big? How did it get this big? And Billy responds, I'm not sure. I think the dragon just wanted to be noticed. I think the dragon just wanted to be noticed. Maybe focus on yourself for just a moment. See some heads nodding. What dragon wants to be noticed? The one that's growing and growing and growing and giving you less and less and less space to room, to breathe, to live, to be. How'd the dragon get that big? It just wanted to be noticed. One of our core values here at Wellsprings is called living with integrity. It's about having the humility and the vulnerability necessary to make positive change. This allows us to see the dragons, even if we don't want to. It allows us to engage a deeper spirituality. There's a Jesuit theologian named Walter Burkhart who defined contemplative spirituality. Contemplative spirituality is spirituality that is about affecting not just what's around us, but affecting the quality of how we perceive our lives inside and outside, the quality of our sight. Walter Burkhart defined contemplative spirituality as this, a long, loving look at the real. A long, loving look at what is real. Noticing the dragons that are asking for our attention, that are sometimes begging us to pay attention. If you've been around for a little bit, you might know that I have a contemplative spiritual practice. It's mindfulness. I teach mindfulness as well. And mindfulness is particularly healing for me because I've lived many years, in fact, many decades with anxiety, panic disorder at times. And mindfulness has helped me learn to take a breath, calm down for a little bit, take a sacred pause. And if that's all that mindfulness was, that'd be pretty good. But that's not really what mindfulness is. Mindfulness is learning to take a long, loving look at the real. I had a rather profound inner experience of this not too long ago during meditation when, yeah, my mind had calmed down and I was just sitting there breathing, watching the breath come, watching the breath go, and I saw it. As someone who has a whole catalog of obsessive thoughts that I will not list for you, I saw one particular fear arise. I saw it come around. And I watched it, and then I saw it go away, drift off like a cloud in the sky, a beautiful sky like today. And here's the thing. In the next moment, I saw another fearful thought swoop right in to take its place. <laughs> but I saw it clearly. It was in many ways, if you might imagine it, like fleas jumping between dogs to itch and scratch them. That's the difference this practice makes for me. Not just calming myself down, but learning to take a look at what is happening inside of me. 
In the past, I got to tell you, you know what my response would be when I switch automatically from one fear to another. I would just start itching that next fear. I would just start itching that next thought. But seeing how the fleas can jump from one dog to another means that the fleas don't have the opportunity to burrow into my skin. It can interrupt that process. And I can hold that fearful thought that is real, but as Tara Brock, the teacher, might say, not true. It's happening, but I don't have to believe it. This is one of the best parts of contemplative practice. As someone once described it, you don't have to believe everything you think. How incredibly liberating that is. And so to learn to see the fleas and to learn to see the dragons, to learn to see our minds just as they are with a long, loving look at the real, is also to open ourselves up to this. What wants to be noticed inside of ourselves? Befriending ourselves, turning towards our experience, especially the dragons, and recognizing that if we don't turn toward what happens so often, it's exactly like in the house. A small thing becomes a slightly larger thing, becomes a slightly larger thing, becomes a slightly larger thing, until the thing that we thought we were doing such a good job at ignoring has taken up all the space for ourselves, and there's no room left. One of the great ways to diagnose for yourself whether your denial is like, eh, okay, I can live with this, or whether, no, I can't, is ask yourself, what is it costing you? Is it costing you peace of mind, sleep? And not just what does it cost ourselves, what does it cost others as well? When we take a long, loving look at the real that is sometimes incredibly troubling. I'm going to share an image with you in just a moment that is exceedingly troubling. And it's from this past week. And I actually do hope that you've seen it already. Because it is one of our societal dragons that is crying out to us to pay attention, finally, especially those of us who are white. This is the picture of the last moments of Walter Scott's life, who was shot in the back eight times by a police officer. Walter Scott was completely unarmed, and if there had not been video of his execution, we probably wouldn't know about this. It probably just would have been justified as an officer-related shooting. One of the things I've noticed in the last week showing up on social media is uh, another video, a video of a young African-American man who talks about uh, being pulled over for a traffic stop and he did it all the right way and not all cops are racist and, you know, we just can't be reactive. And it's actually everything he says is good. You know, we shouldn't judge people by the color of their skin instead of the content of their character. But I wonder why so many people are choosing this week to post that video. Is the denial here trying to shift the blame and saying somehow Walter Scott deserved it? That simply in fear to run away from a police officer when you are completely unarmed, they deserve it. Some of us have tried to pay attention over this last year in the Black Lives Matter movement and to pay attention to the fact that for over 400 years in this country, in law, in custom, in practice, 
in society. White supremacy has been the center of that law, custom, and practice. And yes, we have had formal equality under the law for the last 50 years, and yes, it has made some tremendous and meaningful differences. And still, this happens. Can we turn towards our history? Can we turn towards the dragons of racism? Can we pay attention? The problems only grow the more we turn away. Now, sometimes we turn away because we just feel overwhelmed. Or sometimes we turn away out of guilt. Or we turn away because we don't know how to enter the conversation. At this point, I'd like to remember this person. Some of you might know who he is. It's Admiral Stockdale. He was Ross Perot's running mate in 1992. He gave the worst vice presidential debate performance in the history of the medium. But really, what he's known for is that he was a prisoner of war. And he survived brutality on an unimaginable level. His story was retold into something called the Stockdale Paradox by a guy named Jim Collins, who's a management consultant. But this is about much more than business life. This is about how we live with the dragons. See, Stockdale talked about that there were those people who did not survive in the prisoner of war camp in which they were being tortured, not because they gave up all hope, but because they had too much hope, because they were absolutely certain by next Christmas, by my birthday, by next Easter, I'll be getting out of here. We'll be getting out of here. And that date that they had set as their marker as the point at which they would be free came around and they were still imprisoned. And then they gave up hope. So how do we exist in this place of open heartedness with the dragons and not giving up a clear vision that life can change? This is the Stockdale paradox. You must retain faith that you will prevail in the end regardless of the difficulties and at the same time, you must confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. Life can change. There is hope and room and space to grow. And, not but, sometimes life is profoundly painful. And waking up to that is sometimes the exact thing that can set us free. Whether within your life, whether around your life, the real is always crying out to us. Like the dragon that Billy saw, perhaps because he didn't have any categorical non-perception like his parents did. Perhaps because he was willing to simply be courageous and brave enough to notice and to pay attention. What real thing is crying out to you as a dragon this morning? Your own pain, a friend's pain, a family member's pain, the world's pain. Because, yes, even though this whole message today was inspired by fantasy, dragons are really not fantasy. They are, as the great poet of the soul, Rainer Maria Rilke, said, Perhaps all the dragons in our lives are princesses or princes who are only waiting to see us act at least once with beauty and with courage. Perhaps everything that frightens us is, 
in its deepest essence something that just wants our love. Today, may you tame the dragons not by slaying them and certainly not by ignoring them, but by taking a long, loving look at the real, which is all of us. Amen. May you live in blessing. Let's pray together. God of the real, not of the faraway imagined past, not of the faraway, not yet existing future, but of the real ground under our feet, of the real breath in our lungs, of the real qualities of sight, both of eye and of heart. May we allow ourselves to see fearlessly, open-heartedly. May we allow ourselves to see with the soul of our love, that if we allow it to perceive the fullness of who we are, will let us know that we are more resilient, more loving, more kind, and more capable than denial could ever lie to us about who we are or who we are not. May we project that long, loving look inside of our own hearts and open to the hearts of others as we make peace with ourselves and with this life. Amen.